This is episode three of Ceasefire, Destroying the Divide. And this episode's going to be a how-to episode. How do we bridge the gap? We, we've talked about why in the world we're doing this podcast. And then we sort of talked about why we think everybody is so divided. And we think a very good next step is to say, how do we bridge the gap? How do you move toward others in conversations? We'll get into it a little bit more specifically from our own perspective, our own perspective and our own faith. We'll do that in the trenches. And then in the debrief, we might sort of break down how we approach the show and and things that took place. But I think what we're going to do for the flyover, this is the first part of every episode. We do the flyover, then the trenches, and then the debrief. Andrew's got, I think, seven principles that we think could apply to everyone when you're thinking about how to move toward others and have these conversations. So I'm I'm excited to start getting more down into practical things that are going to really guide this show. We're not really posturing as if we have the answers. A lot of this is an experiment. We want to, we really want to engage with the public as well as guests on the show. And some of these earlier episodes, I think are going to be very good guiding principles for how we actually approach all of this. So these principles aren't sage wisdom answers that we think are going to solve cultural problems, but it will be a great guidepost and good parameters for how we approach everything. So how how do we how do we do this, Andrew? How do we how do we bridge the gap? How do we move toward other people in pretty serious conversations that can be very divisive and and very strong in disagreement? Well, before I get into the list, and it took me some time to develop this list. And again, just to reiterate or echo your sentiments, this isn't about us telling anyone how to go about anything. This is about us trying to figure it out through the process of talking to one another, through the process of doing research, through the process of having on guests. And I went to bed last night, let me just say this, feeling the weight of this question and going, I I don't know how to answer this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I don't know how to do this. And I woke up this morning going, okay, I need to figure this out. So, you know, I I spent the morning researching. I spent some of the week researching and was able to kind of narrow it down to some, I think, broad strokes, some principles that will apply. Again, this is repeating what you just said. You did such a fantastic introduction to our show that uh, I'm just I'm just repeating you at this point. But broad strokes, no matter what your perspective on life is, no matter what your angle to existence is, your worldview, your politic, whatever. Because we agree, and this is why we're doing this, this is a problem, man. Mm -hmm. This is a huge problem. And as much as we went into the problem itself, and we don't want to be problem-centric only, obviously. Mm. As much as we went into it in the last episode, I feel like we barely scratched the surface on the enormity and the importance and the... uh, the priority of confronting this thing because it's neighbor against neighbor, man. We have basically two different nations in one nation. Hmm. And yet, and we were talking about this before we hopped on here. Somehow we found a way to celebrate our diversity um, as a nation and, and get along with one another right up until recently. And I'm still kind of in this mode of trying to figure out how did we get here? Why are we like this? No, mm-hmm. Even though we, we sort of dissected it and deconstructed it last time, I'm still thinking about it every day. Not just for the purposes of our show, but just in terms of everyday life, man. So this is a huge question. It's, it's, it's a very, very important question. And I think the way we handle this question in the years moving forward as a society will determine the ultimate fate of this experiment that is the United States and Western quote unquote democracy. So we're really delving into things that are global and societal here as much as the globe is not America, but you know, we represent such a, such a specific role in the global context here in America. And I think we can all agree it's, it's on kind of a razor's razor's edge at this point. So that's my sort of overview of the overview kind of thing. But 
I, I'm just sharing my emotions on all of this. Like, I really feel the weight of attempting to answer a complex question. I wanted to make sure that even though we're not giving specific answers, so to speak, that we're <laughs> trying to lean into some principles here that are going to shape us. And we want to make sure those are the right principles. So this is what I came up with. I'll give you the list and then I'll, I'll, we, I'll kind of go through together and, and, and we can kind of talk about what each of these means in the flyover sense. Um, so number one, let go of the cornered animal mentality. And this is fear. We fear the other side at this point. Mm -hmm. We fear that the other guy, the you know, if you're red, it's blue. If it's blue, it's red. Or pick a pick a policy or topic, right? The the person who has the opposing viewpoint. We fear that they they and their ilk or their type or their tribe is going to destroy society as we know it if we don't confront them and shut them down. That is a very cornered animal mentality. And I think we can all agree that so long as you've got two cornered animals facing off, there's not going to be anything good that comes out of it. They're just going to destroy each other, right? Mm -hmm. Picture like a dog fight. So number two, question your own group and think critically about the narrative or the media. Those are two separate ideas, but they work together under the think critically banner, so to speak. Question stuff. Um, that's, you know, when I was in school, the critical thinking in college was something that was hammered into my brain, you know, and it's just the idea of questioning things, trying to see beneath the surface of what you're being told, whether it's by your own group or by, uh, the greater powers that be. Number three, and this is straight out the good book. Love thy neighbor, mm. even and especially, this is my caveat, even and especially online. I think we should talk about that a little bit. Some principles to online interactions, I think that will fly in the face of the prevailing uh, cultural approach. Let's put it that way. Number four, seek to em empathize even if you disagree. And this is a, an, an attitude. It's a posture about living. It, mm -hmm. And you, you're going to have to be intentional about empathizing with those that you disagree with. And I think that's something we're going to really take a stab at on this show. Just as I've been walking through potential guests, uh, thinking about it, pondering conversations and topics, hot button issues, the goal here is to not just bring on people that uh, reinforce one perspective, but to get into, into the depths with people that we might have some disagreement disagreements with. And we're going to learn a lot about empathy. And that's something that's being lost in the world right now. The idea of empathy. Five, invest in real community and relationships. And I meant this in the sense of not just transacting communications with others in the virtual sense or in the technological digital sense, um, but uh, putting, giving time and making effort to go out of your way to actually spend time with people and to invest time, effort, energy, and truth into actual physical friendships, relationships, family, and the like, even uh, church or other type of community. Uh, six, emphasize reason over emotion. I don't know if you've spoken to anyone recently that may have a different, differing perspective than you do about a certain issue. But as soon as you touch on the idea of disagreement, it seems like it's becoming more and more common that you elicit a very strong emotional response. Mm -hmm. No matter what your words are, no matter how you go about approaching them, if you express disagreement in any way with another person in our world, you're going to elicit a very strong reaction. And I wanted to look about I wanted to look at that and talk about that a little bit um, because I don't know if that's necessarily the most healthy way to approach engaging other people. And finally, and this ties into empathy, show you care. 
this this is like really common sense love thy neighbor type stuff you know it's like uh <laughs> you know you got a neighbor and you mm -hmm. know that you know that guy has is flying the flag that you disagree with <laughs> and they need help bringing in their groceries you know what i mean are you not going to bring in the help them bring in the groceries just because they are flying a different colored flag mm -hmm. on their front lawn you know what i mean and yet that's where we've gone as a world so this is really kind of getting at the core of our attitudes i guess <sighs> again no matter where you come from so you know i'll kind of volley it back to you lono or <laughs> lucas <laughs> the, the artist the artist formerly known as lono you guys yeah. have to understand that i came to lucas he was introduced to me as lono that's right so i, yeah. I have to constantly correct myself and he's even lono in my phone <laughs> so i probably that in many people's phones actually yeah so I, the uh, the artist formerly known as lono <laughs> yeah that's right I, yeah i kick it back to you man i mean i think we should you know in the flyover sense maybe just attack each of these and yeah kind of bat it back and forth a little bit any any kind of thoughts on that list or just the idea of of confronting our own attitudes as individuals I like that you started with the cornered animal mentality because fight or flight gives you the option of flight. You can just you know leave. But I feel that it's gotten to the point where people don't think that's possible anymore. That's why yeah. I think that's such a good picture to give people that they feel like a cornered animal. There is no running away from this. There is no getting away. It's it's all framed in destroy the opposition or they will destroy you. Mm -hmm. And that I think is one of the, the things that's gotten worse recently. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode, how it seems technology, Facebook and sort of the, the social media and the political realm starting to overlap so much is where that really heated up. Because I definitely think in times past, even in my parents' generation and before, you really knew not to bring up politics at like a family cookout or a family reunion because you knew it was divisive. But this is different. This is now not a... It's not a horse of a different color. It's a, it's an entirely new animal. You know, how the, the, the horse keeps changing colors in The Wizard of Oz. It's not, it's not as if there's just a different sort of shape and tone. It feels completely different. And I think that's because it's no longer fight or flight because that's kind of what the rules were growing up is like you just sort of run away from those discussions. It's just not worth it. But there was never this thought that, well, we're completely under threat by the people who don't agree with us. And I, I think reframing that is so challenging because the people that do frame the dialogue really benefit from having people be entrenched even some of the platforms we're going to distribute this podcast on are set up algorithmically to very much prefer predictable patterns of behavior, predictable users. And you're more predictable if you're entrenched, if you're sharply on one side. And that's, I think, one of the biggest challenges is that, you know, starting with that, that cornered animal and that mentality that keeps getting baked into the conversation and the public dialogue and how we view others because view of self and view of others is the, the, the primary driver of behavior. And if you're constantly convinced that your neighbor is, you know, a threat to you, it's going to largely affect how you live your life, how you interact with them and, and, and how you carry out any potential conversations you might have with them. There was a, there was a movie called, I think it's called Arlington road and this guy, is, this guy is super paranoid because he thinks his neighbors are terrorists. He turns out to be right, but they so easily made him look crazy. You know, it made him look like, why would you think this about, you know, your neighbors are just totally normal. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's almost as if everybody's at that, that fever pitch of paranoia that like their, their neighbor is a terrorist because you're on the other side of the issue. So I, I like that one for the start because I don't think you're ever going to bridge the gap. I don't think you're ever going to have a meaningful conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you. If you don't shed that framework, maybe just question the framework that's sort of related to your questioning the narrative. Just question that framework. Do you honestly think half of the population in the United States are a direct threat to you and they're your sworn enemy? I mean, I walk through my neighborhood 
and I I see political signs and no one's no one's getting in fist fights in the street like no one's mm-hmm. burning each other's houses down we're all we're all somehow getting along even though we're told that that's almost impossible so I do like that you started uh, with that one yeah before we jump to the next one I just wanted to say that Arlington Road is a great movie it's so scary Joan Cusack is terrifying yeah. in that film <laughs> terrifying yeah. like wow yeah, I haven't seen that one in a long time, man. It just came that. to me as I was describing that because, like, he, you know, it's Jeff Bridges, isn't it? He's like losing it, you know, because he's he's convinced he's right because he was, yeah. you know. And it's uh, Joan Cusack's husband is Tim, Tim Robbins. Robbins. Yeah, who's also when he's cast as a creep, he does such a good job being a creep. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's also great as Andy Dufresne, so mm-hmm. that, you know. But uh, man, scary movie! If you haven't seen that film, you, and you're listening or watching, you need to watch that. It's an older one. It's like 20 years old or something. Correct? It's pretty old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this idea of being afraid that if the the other side wins, that society will be destroyed, I think it's overblown. I think it's overblown. Now, do I have strong opinions on policies? Of course I do. We all do. But I think there it it, it has sh- it has been shown in recent history that there is money to be made by solidifying your base. Mm-hmm. So there is always an angle being pushed by either side to vilify the other side because it you mentioned internet traffic it 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 solidifies a lot of things internet traffic money all, all of the above audience the fact that you and i are trying to take a moderate perspective on this is probably shooting ourselves in the foot because there's more money to be made in uh appealing to the tribe so to speak the Mm -hmm. problem is though if we continue down this road of fearing thy neighbor rather than loving thy neighbor we will not have any neighbors because this the whole divide and conquer mentality and this is a totally different different topic in a different episode but if we are on the brink of, of civil war, if we're a divided nation, if we are two different nations, however many you, you want to frame this, if we're two different nation, nations in one, we will eventually lose our nation, uh, either to a foreign power or to self-destruction. And never forget, this, this country is very young, and it is an experiment. Those documents that we've based our country on, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, those are very unique and that's those are the things that make our country what it is basically so and our interpretation of them uh you know getting back to the fear thing it's it's an attitude adjustment that's going to be very difficult for each and every one one of us but it requires us to sort of disconnect from a little bit of the charged media that's out there or actually bleeding into number two point here on the list is, you know, questioning your own group and thinking critically about the media narrative. I did an experiment somewhat unknowingly, I'd say over the last four years where, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks, and I also derive a lot of my information about the world from both Twitter and Instagram. So I follow profiles largely that are either news outlets, news sources, and I try to follow a a big enough group of things. So I'm getting different perspectives and I try to balance it in terms of what I'm getting. So it's not just extreme one side or extreme the other, but in looking back over just let's take podcasts as an example over the podcasts I've followed over the last four years. I had a two year period where I was 
really listening to a lot of progressive leaning spiritual content. Um, very, I would say, in more of the liberal um, perspective. And I found that my attitudes in general, my attitude in general about certain things or about topics, principles, policies were very, I, I, my emotions were shaped by the content I was absorbing in a certain direction. And then more recently, I have followed more of the moderate to moderate right peppered with some moments of some more past moderate right-leaning content because I had been listening to left-leaning content for so long, so I was trying to balance it out to get the other side. And I found that my attitude at each day was, and my emotions were, were very different based upon that. So you can literally sway your own feelings about the world and your own attitudes about the world by the stuff you're taking in. And I think the first step in thinking critically about the world around you, the media, and your own group, uh, is in being aware of this phenomenon. If you're constantly taking in stuff that's getting you charged up about the other side, you are going to get charged up about the other side. And it's going to play into that fear mentality. It's going to play into, uh, you know, the whole thing that we're talking about. And eventually it, it gets very propaganda-esque. Because again, there's an agenda of from every media and news source and platform and person who has a following. There's an agenda. There's an angle. They're solidifying an audience. They're trying to turn a buck. They're trying to gain influence. There's always an angle. So... I had to personally in this kind of experiment come to a place where after giving sort of weight to different sides of the argument where I actually kind of removed myself a little bit from too much charged content at all. And now I only have a couple shows that I follow. They're pretty apolitical or, or crit media criticism uh, perspective in terms of the content. Um, in order to think critically, you have to realize that there is always a spin to the message that you're, you're being given. Um, and you have to question it, even in your own group, even at a church, even, you know, if you're a staunch, you know, Republican or a Democrat, you know, you realize, you know, there are ways that, that the people you're getting messages from are benefiting. And so you have to you have to think about what their motivation is. And you have to sort of get behind the words and really hear the messaging, so to speak. That's what, that's what I mean by being critical, thinking critically. Yeah. And when you're, when you're doing that, when you're stepping outside of the presumed thing or the assumed thing, you're sort of looking at it, questioning the podcast you're listening to, the news media outlets you're listening to, maybe the church that you go to, maybe the books that you're reading. Yeah, you almost have to step outside of it every once in a while and just assess what is this doing for me. A lot of people have done mm -hmm. this with social media and they've found that, man, when I completely disconnected or took a break for a week, my whole mood was better. I felt better. I slept better. There are, I think there are elements to just engaging with technology in the way that we do that is very mood altering and especially if you're just drinking from the fire hose and doom scrolling is the, is the phrase right when bad things are happening and people are just scrolling Twitter and Facebook and it's just all seemingly bad news and then and then that's why they call it you know doom scrolling so to me I get I get why somebody might just be totally convinced of something that's either completely untrue or totally overstated about the other side. Even in my interactions with gaming culture, we run into this. We run into people who are so entrenched on a side that they'll just say things that are not even remotely accurate or factual, but it's based and rooted in like fandom. They're such a big fan of a certain thing 
that they do and say and believe things that are just fundamentally not true. And then if you think about what that might look like in the political realm or the philosophical realm or even the religious realm, you know, calling people to turn and question that and doing it in a way that says, listen, it's okay to do this. This isn't wrong. You're not mm-hmm. turning around. You're not turning around and saying that your your tribe is wrong or incorrect. You're not you're not like leaving whatever faith or group that you're in, but you're trying to step outside of it to just sort of observe what is it doing to you. Is it right. helping you? Is it helping you flourish as a person? Is it increasing your ability to love and connect with others? You know, are you thinking well? Is it promoting good thinking? Is it promoting loving others more and just existing in a in a good way i wrote down three principles back when i was trying to come up with a podcast like this for myself and i wanted to help people think well live better and love more and if the if the content that you're consuming and the people that you're believing and trusting if they're not doing that then you have to question is it a problem with you or is it a problem with them or the messaging because if it's degrading your ability to love others to think critically if you're sort of just doing this blind faith thing, not even a, in a religious sense, just a blind faith, a a blind acceptance of whatever the group is saying, you have to wonder what that's doing to your your mental health and your human flourishing. So I think that's another good one. Is you know if you're if you're gonna shed this framework of I'm a cornered animal, that's gonna naturally I think make you question what you're listening to and what you're hearing because some of that is largely probably why you feel like a cornered animal it's it, it's possibly coming from the very tribe that you think is so great and so good for you might not be and the idea of thinking crit- critically is just this ask yourself what is this person this show this news outlet whatever it is you're taking in or whatever voice it is you're listening to ask yourself what is their motivation what are they trying to do why are they choosing this story why are they choosing to present this argument what money is there to be made by presenting this argument or this angle that's a great one follow the money that is a part of thinking critically once you start realizing that there's a spin and an angle to so much of what we consume And a lot of it is, this is a charged word, but it's true. A lot of it is propaganda. It's meant to elicit an emotional response from you and condition you to respond in emotional ways in the future. When you start to realize that and you you, you understand the nature of propaganda and also the fact that so much of of what we consume is borderline or actual propaganda, you start being freed up a little bit more to make your own decisions that aren't as tribalistic, that are a little bit more individual, and you become empowered to be less afraid. That's the key. So number three here, love thy neighbor. This is very basic, very foundational, very WWJD, right? But the twist is even and especially online. Ooh. Because part of the fun of being on Twitter or being on social media or going on Facebook or pick a platform, pick a a community, is going on there and speaking your mind Mm -hmm. and telling it like it is and even tearing down or just giving a jab or making fun of people coming up with a meme and mm-hmm. that illustrates how stupid someone else is and how smart you are. That's part of the fun, right? It's, it's yep. the exercise of, of hierarchy in human nature. But if you throw in the love thy neighbor and you apply it to the social media sphere, ooh, what do you think, Mr. Lucas? That's a tough one. I mean, I, we we want it, we want to use the trenches to do more of the deep dive and like applying our own faith, but I do think I want to practice what we just talked about, where we're supposed to turn, question, tribe, think critically, and look at what you know, look at what they're doing, and I would say that a lot of 
people from the more conservative, more Christian background, they will they will twist this, I think, because they would say loving their neighbor is them giving them truth. And they deliver truth like a two by four wrapped in barbed wire. Like it doesn't it's there's nothing loving about it. And in preparing for today, I wanted to find that I always quote it, being wise as a serpent and as gentle as a dove. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is that when Jesus tells them to do that, he literally is doing it in the context of saying, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like you're going to get attacked. People are going to tr- they're going to try you. They're going to flog you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to potentially kill you. And in that context, he's saying you need to be gentle, as innocent as a dove, as as wise as a serpent. And I think what ends up happening is we sort of flip that around. The church, the church honestly has flipped that around a little bit. Loving thy neighbor to them is, well, I'm giving them truth. You know, I'm supposed to tell the truth. Telling people the truth is a loving thing. And they're they're about as gentle as a bull in a china shop. And so I think for for us to think critically and question tribe within this regard of love thy neighbor, I would say that that we have largely failed to do this, as you said, especially online. And I think it's analogous to when a lot of the times people will warn younger, younger people about engaging in a relationship purely through text message because you will say things that it's easier to say. It's easier to cross lines and to do things that are maybe inappropriate or wrong because it's real easy just to send that text. There's a it whole feels other... like there's no consequence. Right. And there's a whole other side to that when you're kind of laying into somebody on Twitter and Facebook. They're not right there in front of you. It's, a, it's very different if you're sitting across the table from them at a coffee shop or a pub or something and you're having a very polite conversation. I think there are natural social contract barriers that take place that you are going to temper it down. There have been times where I've disagreed with somebody, you know, and I've been speaking about it on my show. And then somebody's like, oh, I wish you would do a podcast with that person and have a debate. And then there was a time where I was on a podcast with somebody and they did, they were like, it didn't get very fiery. We thought it was going to mm. be a lot more, you know, a lot more passionate. And I was like, well, it's a little bit different when the guy's sitting there and we can have a conversation. Correct. And, and we can find common ground. <laughs> and so <laughs> they were always disappointed. Like they wanted me to come out swinging, you know, I guess call the guy an idiot or something, which I, I don't think I would ever do. That's just not beneficial. But I've, I've always liked to quote that rudeness being, being rude, rudeness is the, the weak man's imitation of strength. And I think it takes a lot of strength and a lot of, a lot of resolve to be calm and to be wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. I think the reason he uses such stark contrasts there is because of just how difficult this is. You need these limiting concepts to keep you on the path. If you're trying really hard to be wise and as cunning as in their mind in that day a serpent, but to then be as innocent and as gentle as a dove, man, oh man, those are polar opposites and they have to coexist in how you approach things. And he, I think he modeled that. I think we have that in him. And I think if, if we start trying to model that in the public, some of what we're saying would naturally happen. The gaps would be bridged. We could have conversations which would touch down on one of your other ones with empathy. That's how you fuel empathy. It's <laughs> just d- seeking to understand and have those conversations with people. So I'm, I'm applying what we're, what we're supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm going to turn on my tribe and say, you guys are failing in this regard in a big way. And it's one of the reasons we want to start this podcast. Talking to people online. This is something I, I you know, methods of communication attitudes, uh, when you you are a public figure, and when you are a public figure in any way, you open yourself up to criticism. Mm-hmm. It's part of the job description. But it has become so much easier for folks in the area of in in the era of social media that we've been living in now for going on twenty years. Um. It's so easy to fire off a comment on Twitter or response on, on Twitter and say, ha, you're an idiot. You're so stupid. Da, 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 da. I find myself more and more if 
somebody says something to me that's ultra negative, either on Facebook or on Twitter, um, my response more and more is shoot me a private message if you'd like to have a conversation about something that you feel like I've made a mistake on, am doing wrong, or whatever. Or I say, do you want to go to coffee? <laughs> mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. could talk about it over coffee. Yep. The implication is you probably wouldn't communicate that way if we were face to face. I find that that's the answer to all of it. If we would all just treat people online as if they were face to face with us, it would change the world. Now, is everybody going to do that? No. Can we? try ourselves those within earshot yes can we encourage others to do that yes can we be the one that's less reactionary and that that really thinks before we respond yes if we can take ownership of it on an individual basis and then pay it forward kind of thing we can change the way this works Mm -hmm. the problem is the Again, this gets into thinking critically, and then we'll move on to the next one. The problem is the highest ups, the owners of these platforms, let's take Twitter as an example, they benefit from the arguments. They want the arguments. That's what drives traffic. Mm -hmm. You talk about driving traffic, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation as well, but they're benefiting from us being being rude to one another. They're making money off of it. But when you start to realize, oh, there is a strategy there to actually create a platform that is one addictive and two basically is meant to bring out the worst in in humans and the way they respond to one another, you start engaging the whole platform differently. You start engaging the conversations differently. And you realize, you know, I'm not going to change anyone's mind by calling them an idiot. All I'm doing is, you know, calling attention to myself and grandstanding. That's it. You know, and, and I, before I move on, I'll say this. You know, the times that I have, you know, got gotten rude comments, which has been minimal, but a rude comment on Facebook or Twitter about something or other. All of the times that I've tried to engage that individual on a personal level, like say, hey, Let's have a conversation about this. You seem really worked up about something. I never get a response ever from the people that do that because the the end game is not to have a conversation. It's just to be the guy that goes on there and pops off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, WWJD, don't be the guy that goes in there and pops off. I mean, I think that's pretty common sense, but also very difficult to do. Number four, seek to empathize. And you touched on this already, even if you disagree. Now, I, I love, I sent you, Lucas, and I'll share this with, with the audience. Uh, I sent you a little clip, a little uh, post from Instagram yesterday from Aaron Rodgers, who I follow on Instagram. One, because I, I, I met him and I, we actually have mutual friends. We did hang out one time, so I, I, I follow him. I also think he's a really good quarterback. I also think he says a lot. He says a lot of really interesting things. Uh, and I, I, I don't know why it showed up in my my feed, but because I, I I don't see a lot of posts from him. But it was him on a podcast, just basically saying we've lost the ability to just put ourselves in the other person's shoes. Mm-hmm. We we or the desire to and. When you can actually intentionally think about not just the thing that that person's doing that bums you out or you disagree with, but you think about why they're doing it. That's the critical thought element. And then you go and you make an attempt to listen Mm -hmm. and hear why they made those decisions why they believe what they believe or why they chose the lifestyle that they're living. Again, it's not about like, and we'll get into this in the uh, trenches. It's not about necessarily like the gospel of inclusion per se, but it is about the idea of trying to understand your fellow man from a human to human perspective 
and empathize with their plight a little bit because there's always a really good reason usually why people do the things that they do and empathy is kind of the opposite of you know the bad kind of judgment we've talked about judgment a little bit empathy is is kind of the antic antidote to the the ju- the type of judgment that we're warned about walking you know five paces in that other person's shoes is another principle that requires intention but if done can really defuse the fear mm-hmm. and the anger and the hatred and all the above so talk a little bit about empathy I do think sometimes people misunderstand ironically they misunderstand what empathy is supposed to be about I'm so glad you're saying this it's not sympathy and it's not it's a different word yeah, it's not just sort of listening and saying, you know, thanks for sharing that information. It's it's the the attempts to enter in and understand and share the feelings that they have as if you almost take on that mind of what's the that emotions. Like. It's about the emotions. Right. We're talking about diffusing emotions. Now we're talking about enter in entering into someone else's emotions. Yeah. And I know even in my own marriage that has been so key because we, you know, we we do we do therapy. I strongly encourage people in relationships to do this because we've been doing it for like four years. And even if it's just maintenance, you're just sort of checking in and combing through stuff that's happening. Oh, we're going to take this trip, and all these different things are going to happen. You're sort of building up bulwarks and garrisons within the relational strength to just sustain life as it happens. And something that I've noticed is that if I attempt to empathize with my wife when she's frustrated. When I come upstairs, my day is done and her day is just sort of hitting its fever pitch because she's trying to do things and the kids are in that state of mind where it's almost time for dinner. Dad's almost coming upstairs. So they're like a buzz of energy. And when I sort of enter in and attempt to understand her frustration and just listen and to and to say, I, I share that frustration or I understand and feel that with you, like I'm making space for that. It makes the evening goes so much better. It creates like a lot of relational strength because then she feels like she has support. She has somebody on her side. And then I'm going to handle, like if the kids are being especially frustrating or they're being bad, that empowers me to sort of enter into the moment and take up for her and say like, you guys need to chill. You need to do whatever, you know, mama's having a rough time because you guys have been so, you know, disobedient today or whatever it is that they're doing. My kids are actually pretty well behaved, but Summertime, all structure goes out the window, so it can lead to a lot of, you know, just days where they're not they're not being particularly great. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're six and they're eight, so they're high energy. And so, if in a relationship that's like the epitome of important in my life, you know, that I have to have this very strong bond so we can weather anything that might happen... One of the things they talk about in books and and even in counseling and therapy, why these things are so important is you're you're essentially building yourself up to prepare for what may happen in life. You know, that you need to have something that suffering can't touch and destroy. And if we were to try to have this in society, the results would probably be transformative to culture because what you would do is is you would create relational strength and relational bonds that would be able to withstand suffering disagreement trials frustration but when there's zero empathy we're so mechanistic this gets into a lot of my commentary on technological integration how we've integrated so much with technology we're becoming mechanistic ourselves well when that empathy goes way way down that's that's the bed that's like sort of the seed bed for all of the strife and all of the anger and no one really understands where the other is coming from and i do think people they struggle with this because i think how on earth could i empathize with somebody who is on the complete opposite of the spectrum i mean if i can empathize with a woman who's given birth and has to do day to day like stay at home mom stuff and homeschooling if i can empathize with that as a dude who creates content on YouTube, like we're the exact opposite. We're opposite in our, you know, our personalities. We're opposite in our emotional states and how we respond to things. I, I, I would happen to think that you could empathize with somebody who's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of you in the culture, 
within politics, even within religion, I, th- I think there's ground level understanding and empathy that can be shared between people that would then make it would make society and culture more durable. It just feels so fragile right now. There's a fragility to everything. It just always feels like there's a t- it's a, we're in a tinderbox just mm-hmm. waiting waiting for the right spark to hit the right wick and that that that's hell in a relationship when there's so much fragility that nothing can really happen everything kind of has to stay safe there's no true conversations people that say oh well I never we never get in an argument in our in our marriage or in a relationship I'm always like man that relationship has to be so shallow and so fragile and I I think culture very much mirrors that there's just a fragility and a shallowness to how we interact with one another which is why it doesn't take much for somebody to feel like they're your enemy which is related to everything we've set up to this point yeah and you you're talking about point number five now which is invest in real community and relationships the idea is we are very shallow in the way that we relate to one another and it it's going more the more we go towards digitized you know uh integrating technology the more shallow our interactions become because technology uh, among other things is designed to give us quick fix solutions Mm -hmm. to every every dilemma in life including relationships the problem is we are designed to have physical interpersonal connection one-on-one as well as communal relationships are not meant to be transacted fundamentally in the way that we're made as people online through text messaging through media platforms even through facetime calls or whatever video calls we're meant to be in physical proximity with other human beings on a regular basis working through the dynamics of vulnerability and communication together that process is messy that Mm -hmm. process is difficult it requires work Uh, it requires disagreement it requires uh forgiveness you know and on and on and on down the line that is the opposite of the model of relationships in the digital era mm-hmm. you know we're being pushed as a species towards the disintegration of physical community the disintegration of the nuclear family in the traditional sense uh the d- disintegration of normal re- <laughs> what we would consider to be traditional just relationships friendships with other people and the uh the pandemic era that we just lived through really pushed us further down down that trail because mm-hmm. we were so isolated from one another because of the lockdowns and the above. Well, guess what? You know, they were pushing they, <laughs> you know, those in charge were pushing pushing the boundary further on all of the above. And in some ways it was a huge social experiment. But I will debate the fact that we could ever find true uh, the true meaning that we were destined or created or whatever word fated um, engineered to experience in actual human interaction. We, we we're not. It is impossible for us to find that same level of satisfaction in relationships, same meaning, same purpose, yada yada yada. If it's virtual, if it's digital. Mm-hmm. <sighs> invest in real community and relationships yeah I I always, my wife and I struggle with this one because we've grown up in church culture and we've always said how do we what we walk through our neighborhood you know and there was this this one person that we always make sure and talk to and they're very nice and the kids like to you know go into their garden and and they had shared something pretty troubling that they were going through and I thought well I'm I'm gonna ask if it's okay if I pray for them like hey you know would that be okay with you and they said yes and I thought well I'm I'm gonna ask them you know to, to come to church with us and they thought that they they were really receptive to it and 
Uh, we're still trying to work it out, but they were they were very receptive to it. And then when we were walking, you know, my my wife said, "I just wonder what it's like to not have that sort of just automatic community and hub of support." So when something bad happens, you you have people that are there. Mm-hmm. Just so, just something as simple as when you have a baby and people like make meals and bring meals to the house. Like what a great service that is. I mean, we we we're, we're at a church where there's seems like there's always a baby being born. It's great, right? But it's so cool to see that mechanism fire automatic. You know, all these people sort of descend on this family and support. And. I'm not saying that church is the answer, but apart from having something like that, I've always wondered, and we've talked about this, it just, it must feel sort of lonely. And there does seem to be sort of an epidemic of loneliness. I do think 2020 and and the pandemic made it worse. But I think even prior to that, I do think there was sort of this gnawing sense of loneliness on so many people. I think it's one of the reasons that parasocial interactions have gone up you know interacting with live streamers podcasts twitter that that whole social media it's people are sort of now starting to live online that's where they live which is a very lonely very disconnected way to live ironically it's the most disconnected way to probably live your life and yet you're so highly connected that it sort of blunts your sense of you're very much alone and something that that Keller's really big on in one of the books that I was reading he talks about like you need meaning that suffering can't touch I think even beyond that you need community that's there when the hammer falls when something bad happens when something's not very good and as you're saying like have real community have real connections I I know how that looks for me I I don't know how that looks apart from because I've just so it's it's that's a bias and an assumption built into my life. That's a presumption I'm trying to kind of own. If this is just kind of where I exist and land, that's where I'd want to lean in and just listen and try to empathize to those who who don't have that. Like, where do you go? How do you go out and find community? And, and that's that's what we should talk about more in the, in the other segments. Yeah, uh, it's not easy. Again, I, I'm laying out principles here. Yeah, this is theory. You know what I mean? And I realize it's not that easy because, you know, I've experienced it. It, it, I live in Southern California. People are more disconnected in Southern California than they are other places. And it's really strange because there are so many people here. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is sort of a microcosm of the greater uh, social media world in the real world. Meaning, you know, people are, there's a ton of people living in close proximity to one another. But they're all very isolated. And I'm not the only one that's expressed this. I, I've, I've heard this expressed to me dozens of times over the years from California transplants, people who have moved here at certain points. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the, you know, I moved here when I was a teenager, but come to a similar conclusion, say, it's really hard to connect with people here. Yeah. I've had that struggle with, uh, I've had that struggle with uh, church with find, finding a, a church that I can connect with. And, mm-hmm. and I, I've had a church that I've been working with the last, not working with, attending the last couple of years and uh, working with, working. <laughs> I've been working on my church problem with this place. Got it, got people. it. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't feel very connected. I attend, mm-hmm. I have made some friendships, but those friendships don't really extend much beyond like when I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I know I re- I'm saying all this because I realize it's not easy to build physical community in this world. Um, it's work. It's, it's work. It's, it's, it's hard. It's work. Like we through the summer, I get frustrated because we have a small group that we meet with every other week, and the summer hits and we never see each other. And I don't like that because it's work. You have to put in the effort. You have to be around each other. You have regularly. to try. You have to have meaningful conversations and and. And, and you have to disrupt your life, honestly. This has to be a priority. I think that's the dilemma, is if you suddenly didn't have access to water, you would do everything you could to get access to water because you need it. And mm-hmm. we need relationships and human connections 
but we don't sense that we need it to the same degree, so we don't disrupt our life for it. And I think yeah, that's we get, the fatal yeah, error. All of this, you know, ability, all the options that we have now in this, t- you know, the ever increasing technological, you know, world that we're moving towards every moment. Uh, it's all convenience, and it's all like anything that transcends that is going to be more work. It's going to feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. because, you know. The goal of technology is to make our lives easier, and yet yeah. not better, just easier. <laughs> uh, point number six, we move through these last two here, and then, and then we should wrap, obviously. Emphasize reason over emotion and realize we aren't as divided policy-wise than we think. I, I had a conversation with a friend. and Whenever I say a friend, uh, realize that I'm usually not talking about the same friend, but it <laughs> might sometimes sound like I'm talking about the same friend. So different friend came from comes from a different perspective than me on on different take on things in the world and i remember saying specifically hey i'm looking to start this show with this buddy of mine and we're going to talk about why being divided is such a concern and try to try to diffuse it try to confront the you know the division that that's in the world neighbor hating neighbor type of thing and I got this like very emotional response. I, and it was literally like, I couldn't believe it. Like it was almost as if the words that I spoke were in another language. Like I, I was saying basically, I was responding to a question. I wanna make sure I, I explain this properly. The question was posed to me, how do I feel about Trump? <laughs> and I didn't I didn't really engage the conversation because that's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> uh, and I basically chose the con- chose to answer that question by stating I think we're really divided over stuff and that's the biggest problem in our world. And it was interpreted as basically, oh, you must be a Trump lover. I don't know if I can hang out with you anymore. <laughs> mm. And yeah. I was like, ta-da, that's, that is such an illustration of the way that we have been conditioned to respond emotionally to things uh, in, its, in a way that's irrational. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and this is becoming increasingly common if you, if you even mention certain topics. It's, and, and if you don't convey a 100% alignment with the topic or the narrative in question or the thing that the other person believes, you know, it, it's just such visceral. You know, getting back to that caged animal thing. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the result of conditioning. This is the result of repeated messaging meant to inflame your reaction. Mm-hmm. It is not a normal human posture to respond to someone who has an opinion about a political candidate or or a policy or an issue. Mm-hmm with a level of of uh anger frustration hatred whatever that borders on you know irrational that's not normal you know what i mean and and what what i think we don't realize is this pandemic situation the last couple of years has really eroded the mental health environment that we live in and the emotional environment that we live in um, people just don't have much threshold anymore to deal with anything. You think about like, you know, you're a parent you know, you think about, you know, when you're operating on very little sleep, very little rest and your kids are acting out, you have a very lower threshold for reacting strongly. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It, you're, it's so much easier to fly off the handle mm-hmm. when, when you, when you don't have enough sleep, right? I mean, this is a similar thing. It's like we've been deprived of human needs as a society. um, And we're still wrestling with that. The after effects of it, you know, economically, (laughs) you know, (laughs) politically, of course, there's so much residual gross happening in the world as a result of this pandemic stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think the average individual realizes how much we've been traumatized on the other side of it. And it just inflames our emotional reaction. That's just one reason, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, 
again, identifying our own maybe inflamed emotions about the mental or political environment that we're living in is the first start. And we'll get into this more in the trenches, but just give me an initial reaction on this. Emphasize reason over emotion. Yeah, the the funny thing is is that I think everything we've talked about before this point is kind of how you get there. I think you have to have the self-awareness to see that maybe, as we said, your tribe, your source of news consumption, podcast, your source of, you know, entertainment is making you feel like a cornered animal. And that's killing your ability to empathize, which is you're throwing reason out the window. Everything's emotional. Everything's an emotional reaction. And as you mentioned, like being a parent, you know, being short on sleep, that I was thinking about it from the opposite perspective. Something that you're commonly taught as a parent is that children need structure and boundaries and barriers, and they'll push against them because it mm-hmm. makes them feel safe. And when barriers and boundaries and the level of disruption we've experienced for the last two years, I think it makes people feel a heightened sense that they aren't safe. That, mm-hmm. that goes into the fear angle that you talk about a lot. So I do think the psychological impact on people, you saw the way people reacted. It was quite shameful some of the times, basically throwing tantrums in public. And it very much reminded me of a child that suddenly feels unsafe, there's no boundaries, or the schedule has been disrupted, or their expectations have been destroyed in an instant. They want to go swimming and then it's raining, right? And Mm -hmm. they throw a tantrum, they, they lose control. And we saw this play out in adults we saw it play out in culture and that's something people are going to have to process they're going to have to do that inventory and say am i guilty of that am i reacting in an emotional way because i feel like i'm not safe because so much disrupted what i thought was going to happen i thought this is the life i was going to live the job i was going to have i thought this is where the future was going and it was all disrupted and this, this, we'll get into this in the trenches. I think you need a bedrock. And if you don't have a bedrock, if you don't have something down at the bottom, I, I spoke about this pretty candidly recently after everything that happened to me. If there wouldn't have been something down there at the bottom, I'd have fell into the abyss. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd have come back out of that abyss. And I think some people are still down there because they feel so much was stripped away, so much was disrupted. And that right now is a huge undercurrent in how people are reacting and behaving toward others. Yeah. And finally, number seven. And again, this is WWJD, like 101 love thy neighbor type stuff. It's just show you show you care. Mm-hmm. Even if you walk a different life path. And the, you know, the, the analogy or the, the example that comes to mind is. You know, the guy who's in your neighborhood who's flying that flag, who's maybe a different flag than what you would fly. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, you know, they're bringing in their groceries. You're walking by and they need help carrying something or they drop drop something. You know, are you going to walk by and not help them because of the color of the flag on their front lawn mm-hmm. or the political candidate they have a sign up for? Are you not going to? be there or, or you know they, they're trying to start their car and go to work the car doesn't start they need help you know to to get to work so they can make the money to feed the kids whatever are you not going to, to try to do something to help that person you know, pick a scenario mm-hmm. but I've heard this comment so many times online where it's like I wouldn't that dot dot for that person that loves this political candidate or supported this thing or who didn't wear a mask or who whatever you know what i mean pick the thing yeah and it's like i where i come from it doesn't matter you know if that person needs help and you're walking by you do you do the thing to help them you know mm-hmm. and we've lost that mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah it's a lot of it's rooted in an insecurity which i think is an out I think it's an outworking of the fear is that when you have that insecurity and that fear, you have to compensate for that and you compensate with that with a sense of superiority or 
you think you sort of have the moral high ground mm-hmm. and when you do that you feel that you're in the power to judge you're in the power to to say and behave in those ways to dismiss to denounce to say this person's beneath me or this person is unworthy of just common decency or love and i've seen this i have there was a there was a a gaming channel they got into some hot water because the one of the hosts kind of laid into the audience and it didn't go well for them it really hurt them it hurt their 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 channel and their views and then tweets started emerging from one of the guys kind of in charge and he had said some of the most reprehensible things about his own family members because they were on the other side of the political divide he mm-hmm. went so far as to being like they can die he like he got to the point and there was a certain amount at least in my mind I kind of respected the just nasty honesty that he had so much hate in his heart that he was like yeah they can die like there was he was basically murdering them in his heart like you're dead to me because you are so far on the other end and I believe that comes from insecurity and fear it's driven by this sense that I need to compensate for this fear that I have this insecurity so I'm going to develop this inflated sense of moral superiority because that'll make me feel safe and if I dismiss these people as just Neanderthalic cavemen who are you know going to destroy our world then that'll make me feel better and feel safe and ultimately I don't think it does I think it I think it makes things worse and mm-hmm. so this touches on earlier part in the episode when I was criticizing our tribe because I don't think we're immune to this either and I've seen I've seen evidence of this in my circles and on Twitter and I think we're going to get deeper into the trenches on that one what does this look like from our perspective how do we do the things you just walked through how do we process that through the lens of faith what does that look like because I think these principles apply to everybody I think anybody listening to this episode can attempt to do these things to enter into conversation to bridge the gap but I think our approach is going to be a little different and motivated by different truths and different ideas agreed agreed yeah man i i would love i i can't wait to get into this deeper with you and i always feel as if we are just scratching the surface at this point of the episode and just it i'm fired up to to try to work through it because I want to hear your perspective on so many of these things because I I, I just don't I, I wrestle with all of this on a day to day basis. How am I supposed to dot 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 if I'm supposed to dot dot dot? So I think hopefully we're going to come to some new uh, places of motivation here and hopefully places of understanding as well. Yeah. If you guys enjoyed this episode, the next portions are going to be something that is paid for uh, on Patreon or any of the other sources where we unlock that monetization, the trenches, and then the debrief. The trenches is our attempt to go deeper into the subject, maybe give more of that transparency about our own thoughts and our own beliefs about a given subject. Uh, And then the debrief is sort of debriefing after the episode. How did it go? How did it feel? You know, processing everything. This is a great format. We also think when we have a guest, so recommend guests in the comments or in any of the ways you can contact us we would greatly appreciate that thanks so much for listening to episode three how do we bridge the gap here on ceasefire podcast destroying the divide we'll see you in the next episode if we don't see you in the trenches and the debrief